0: Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com therapy. You'll find over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player.
1: It, it became more of, okay, it has to be my acceptance. This is, this is my life, and this is the way it's going to be, and it is what it is. And you accept it, and you conquer the challenge. How? I think at first there was a lot of gin, and uh, then there was probably some speed and cocaine along the way in my early 20s. And then you just kind of develop your own life, and you develop friends, um, so you create that own, your own family. And one just moves on. You pull up your bootstraps and move on, right?
0: I'm Lily Sloan and
2: I'm Kip Williams
0: and this is a therapist walks into a bar
2: and this is the special post Pride Month episode two therapists walk into a gay bar
0: Mm mm-hmm so Kip where do we start so back in
2: March an article came out on Huffington Post called the epidemic of gay loneliness written by Michael Hobbs it talked about some of the struggles gay men continue to face even though we've made so much progress on civil rights and social acceptance in recent years.
0: That sounds like a downer.
2: It really is. This article hit all the low points. Drug addiction, sexual compulsivity, self-harm and suicidality. And it had a lot of people talking, too. It was all over Facebook. One of my husband's coworkers emailed it to me. And several of my gay male clients brought it up in therapy sessions.
0: So it touched a nerve. It did. The
2: fact is, even with all the progress we're making, we still have some difficult problems to reckon with in communities of gay men. Still, the article only represented one side of some gay men's lives. So when you and I started working on this episode back in June, which is Pride Month in San Francisco, I thought it might be nice to take a different angle and explore the incredible strengths and resilience of gay men.
0: So we headed to a few bars in the Castro during Pride Week, and we asked some of the men we met to tell us their stories about facing and overcoming challenges. And I was so touched by some of the stories they shared.
2: Yeah, me too. That was such a sweet experience. And we also got to talk to a very special expert. So I'm Jamie Moran,
3: LCSW. I also have my CGP, which is a... Certified group therapist Do you pay some money and get more initials after your name. Of
2: course, that's a massive downplaying of what a true group therapy expert Jamie is. I have a passion for group therapy.
3: I run six groups a week in San Francisco and Menlo Park for gay men and gay and bisexual men. I also do a lot of group training for clinicians in working with group in various kinds of aspects. And I also have a specialty in terms of working with gay men around various topics, particularly in group, and other topics, intimacy, dating, family of origin, struggles.
0: And he read the article too, right?
3: Yep. Well, first of all, I'm not a researcher, and I'm not in my 30s. And I believe the author was 35 or something. And some of the case studies, although not all, were men in their 30s. So I feel like I have a little bit of subjective bias. Uh, I grew up in the broader Bay Area. And I've lived here for more than 40 years and been in practice for 33 years. So I think that creates a kind of subjective experience of the world. So my experience has been really different, but I believe that this
2: is part of gay men's life. So in order to talk about resilience and overcoming challenges, I think we do need to talk about what those challenges are and the truth that is there in the article.
0: All right, let's do it.
4: I used to be addicted to crack cocaine. Um, That almost ruined my life.
0: Like back before when you were addicted, did you feel like there just weren't people looking out for you?
4: No, they were, but I was so isolated that I refused to accept that they were. Um, Also, I lived in a a very homophobic community back then, and that made it a lot more difficult to kind of, you know, embrace my peers. Um, today I know that they were looking out for me. Back then, I didn't.
5: You were, you were hiding a lot more than just...
4: Your, didn't oh, I didn't hide it. I, I hid my drug use. Yeah. My sexuality, I didn't hide. But, but my friends didn't always appreciate that. Um, and, and I got challenged and questioned off the answer. That probably contributed to my drug use, I would assume. You know I don't know what the fuck I was thinking, but...
2: Let's take a moment to talk about what's happening here. Ilan Meyer proposed a theory of minority stress back in 1993, and there's a lot of research and evidence to back it up. Basically, many gay men experience distress as a result of social stigma. It shows up in three ways. First, through internalized homophobia, which is basically shame and self-hatred. Second, through hypervigilance, meaning that people will look for discrimination or violence, even when it's not happening. And third, through a heightened sensitivity to discrimination when it does happen. It's kind of a post-traumatic response to the bullying and rejection that many of us have experienced. And it's part of what leads some gay men toward loneliness, drug addiction, sexual compulsivity, and even suicidality.
4: I was so isolated.
0: So there's a whole range of painful experiences from overt violence and bigotry to even more subtle but still impactful experiences of not being seen.
3: Right, minority stress refers to that when you're a minority there are particular kinds of interactions that happen daily, weekly, that don't occur for the mainstream person. So for gay men, I think this happens less in San Francisco, but very often people say, so um, what's your wife's name, Kip? Or um, how many children do you have?
0: Which are great examples of microaggressions or microinjuries. And while being asked your wife's name may not seem like that big of a deal. It's this kind of
2: perpetual salt in the wound experience. Not being seen, not being understood or accepted. All these moments adding up to a much greater feeling of alienation. Or a microinjury often happens every day.
3: Which
0: also highlights that point about heightened sensitivity to perceived stigma. The,
3: the stress of that, whether it's work or on the street or in a family gathering, each person has to decide, am I going to be honest or am I going to lie? Um, I don't have a wife, I have a husband. And so the stress in that uh, is compounded by growing up and by having experiences that are best hidden or downplayed in light of safety.
0: These small things that may not seem like that big of a deal are made much more visceral by very real experiences of being blatantly bullied or targeted, verbally and even physically.
2: And from the stress of being denied civil rights, jobs, or housing. And in our current political climate, the fear that the rights we fought so hard for could be taken away from us. No
0: wonder people come to places like the Castro in San Francisco to feel safe and close with other people they can relate to. Well, not so
2: fast. I think that's true, but it often doesn't turn out to be the solution that people were hoping for. People have arrived
3: in San Francisco or they've arrived in a big city and they're feeling a lot of anticipation and excitement and that they've, they've now arrived, they've arrived as a gay person. This also happens when people come out even if they've lived here all their lives, but uh, people still feel unfulfilled. There's, a, there's something missing.
0: So moving to the gay Mecca of San Francisco or the relief of coming out or finally the freedom to marry, it doesn't just resolve all the emotional pain of not being accepted by your family or by society for most of your life?
2: And sometimes as gay
3: men, we don't treat each other much better. Uh, Some people say I wanted to get married and I was expecting romance and what I got was rejection and bullying. So there's a disappointment that, for example, San Francisco's not quite the dream city that some people thought.
0: That night we went out in the Castro, this one man we spoke with described his relocation to San Francisco from Hawaii.
6: Moving away from where I, I grew up and coming to San Francisco, and adjusting to do two different worlds where I came from a place where it's really unheard of to be a gay man outright, whereas in San Francisco sort of like the Bastion and it's more familiar folks that would be able to be similar in uh, coming out and being who you are and uh, it was encouraging. And it helped uh, because I would not have been able to do it if I stayed where I grew up or and the the little town that I grew up in.
0: But adjusting to the culture of San Francisco as a gay man of color wasn't a piece of cake.
6: I embraced what was the status quo here versus trying to change anything here. Unlike, you know, today's generation, it's a little bit more, they want to make the change for their comfort, whereas I accepted the parameters of that time, of the location, and accepted and just worked with that system, yeah. There may be... uh, times where i couldn't relate to other folks who were uh, at a different level in their orientation or their situation so i had to adjust to uh, dealing with my own personal uh, issues at the same time trying to embrace what is accepted back then
2: i was really struck by his make the most of it attitude which he feels has worked for him i'm also interested in his perspective that the younger generation is trying to change the norms of our communities rather than accepting their limits. Later that night, we did speak to some younger folks about their perceptions of the limitations we face in communities of gay men.
7: When marriage equality was passed, when that got passed two years ago, right? Remember that pride? I will say this, I feel like, exactly right, right? But don't you feel like so many people was like, we're done? Yeah. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished or we're done. But at the end of the day, we aren't done. Think about the trans women. Black women. Black trans women. So many people are left behind. Shit is not done yet. I don't know.
2: So there's this piece about gay men and other folks in the wider LGBTQ community not feeling supported by the people they thought would accept them. And that gay men
3: aren't always our brothers. They're our tormentors. So that what is missing for some people is a real desire for community, consistency, and authenticity. And what some people get is not
8: that at all. I was young, and these, like I said again, I'm cute right now, like not too confident, but I'm still like kind of cute. But back then, I'm 18, live in Florida, and I'm trying to flirt with boys. So this one guy invited me over. I sent him how I looked. I was a little chunky with it, a little thick with it. It was everything. I, I, I didn't I still look the same way. So he said yes, come over. I needed that that confidence. I need that that like to show that like I'm gay now, like this is the time. Like I'm 18 now and I need to know that boys like me too. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go to the boys' house. So I go, I drive there. And I was hesitant, but he's like, come over. So I knock on the door. He opens the door. He he looked at me and he said, no. And I said, huh? He said, no. He closed the door in my face.
0: Oh man. So outside of racial differences, there can be other pain points like body image issues, fat phobia, sexual rejection.
2: Yeah, it gets really sticky when we're talking about wounded people coming together from so many diverse backgrounds and hoping to feel healed. Jamie talked about how this can show up in his therapy groups. So first of all, it's a risk to show up in a group,
3: no matter who you are or where the group is. So I think this is universal. I like to talk to the guys who are applying to my group about risk and fear. What, what is gonna be risky and fearful? Now we all know in terms of therapy, you need to take risks in order to progress. But some of what will happen consciously or not is that group members or, or applicants will say, groups of men are threatening, men can hurt me, i can be humiliated and then some people say but it's a gay men's group but it doesn't really matter if that's the narrative this person has said so when i mention group to my individual clients several will say no there's no way i'm coming into a group are you crazy jamie are you sure you have your license what is wrong with you i'm overdoing it they don't do that But there's hesitation and there's fear. And then you think of the reality, men have been threatening, particularly in groups, the locker room, the playground, the school bus.
2: So there can be a visceral response to group is dangerous. So even groups of other gay men can be dangerous or threatening.
0: It's like you're carrying the wounds of stigma and discrimination from society and of rejection and exclusion from within your own community.
2: And when you're already wounded and sensitive to rejection, this can become a feedback loop. Definitely. If
3: somebody comes to group and they're injured in a short period of time or even at month six or year two, and it's the kind of injury that I either didn't pick up on or it's very deep, they could leave and feel very unseen, unhelped. See, Jamie, this is what happens. I open myself up. I got hurt. This is what my life is like. So that one of the challenges in terms of my group facilitation and what I call my group bias is I want people to hang in there. I want people to stay and say things like, I'm so injured, I want to walk out the door, but not actually walk out the door. Ah,
0: Yeah. So uh, that's a lot of therapy is it's about hanging in there when shit goes down, you know, whether it's in a group or with an individual therapist. And working through that in a new way. Absolutely.
2: And that new way is what I find so exciting and hopeful in our individual stories and in our communities. Our pain and limitations don't have to be the end of the story.
0: That's right. So hang in there. Resilience is coming right after this. Guess what, Kip? What? For listeners of A Therapist Walks Into a Bar... Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Cool! So what book would you recommend listeners try out?
2: Well, based on what we're talking about, I'd recommend a book by Alan Downs called The Velvet Rage, Overcoming the Pain of Growing Up Gay in a straight man's world.
0: And you can download that book or thousands upon thousands of other titles at audible.com for free. Just go to audibletrial.com slash therapy.
2: Again, that's audibletrial.com slash therapy.
0: As we start to talk about resilience, we wanted to take a moment to remember the shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando on June 12th 2016. It was the worst mass shooting by a single perpetrator in U.S. history, leaving 49 people dead and 53 injured. Pulse was targeted because it's a gay club. The victims were primarily young LGBTQ folks of color, and the massacre was recognized as a hate crime.
2: One week after the massacre, the New York Times ran a story about LGBTQ adolescents and young adults who responded to the shooting by coming out to their families. I was really touched by that story. Instead of retreating in fear and making their lives smaller, these young people stepped forward with courage. I think it's such a wonderful example of resilience.
0: When you think about it, LGBTQ communities have faced a lot of challenges. The HIV and AIDS epidemic is another. When we were out in the Castro, I was really struck by how this man's loss marked a major milestone in his development.
1: I had a, 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 a different boyfriend in the um, early mid-90s, and um, he died of AIDS. I actually um, administered morphine to expire his life because he had gotten to the point of not having capabilities. And uh, when I, after they took the body out of the apartment, I went in the shower and I said, oh God, I, I, I'm a man now. I'm a man now. I had to go through death and having, that's what I said. I'm a man now.
0: He frames his story as a rite of passage, which goes to show that we don't have to be defeated by these dark and painful experiences. In fact, we can be transformed by them.
2: And while this is an incredibly powerful story, It is one of thousands like it.
0: It makes me think about how after September 11th, we heard so many stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things.
2: And with HIV and AIDS, we've all heard the stories of how the community rallied together. But what he shared with us really illustrates the strength and resilience in people's personal lives as well.
0: Well, and remember the guy who told us about his addiction to crack cocaine? His story does not end there.
4: So I, uh, I quit my job, I left the city and everybody I knew, um, and forged a new life, I guess. Oh, and I learned how to love. I fell in love, That
2: too many friends.
4: And so we exchanged dick pics on Craigslist. Um, I'd never done anything like this before. And uh, I went to his house, I passed out from heat exhaustion. I was so worked up and... I'd never been in love before, I'd never been on a date before, and I realized all of a sudden that everything had changed. And I don't know, we were married one year later.
2: How did you know that you were in love? What did you feel? Have you ever had anybody ask you how
4: you know you're gay? You
2: just know? Yeah. What difference did
4: that make? I wanted to be a better person. It saved my life. You know, it's like, are you going to be successful, are you going to survive? Or are you going to die from a drug addiction? If you so, want to
2: be there for somebody else, you need to survive. It's like, from your point of view, there's no steps to it. There's no, this is how you do Everyone it. Everyone
4: has their own perspective and their own process. Mine was pretty straightforward. Having a garden and a dog and a husband helped me. And, you know, it's easy to love superficially, but that, that, that feeling of I would die for you it seems so rare and so powerful. And, you know, if you're willing to die for somebody, you're willing to do anything. And, and that's what was the impetus for change in my life.
2: Did you ever expose your shame to him?
4: From day one. From day one. Well, that I was a drug addict that it had been a long time since I'd used. And about all the things I was ashamed about that I had done as a drug addict.
0: What compelled you to tell him all?
4: I don't know. Again, I passed out from like heat stroke. I was so excited, so worked up. It was a strange emotion, I never felt it before. Of course, you know, my heart rate increased. I was flushed. You see how I'm sweating right now? That's how I respond to stress of any kind. So I was really sweating that much. What was the stress?
2: I fell in love. And what did you want? An ice pack?
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm curious, are you still together? Oh, God,
4: no. <laughs> but I've fallen in love many times since. So. Not quite ten years later, but I haven't mean, used it a long, long time. I have a steady career, and uh, I excel at it. A lot of friends, and, and if I were to go down that path, they would notice right away. Back then, no one would have known. and I was very good at hiding things. I've learned not to hide things.
0: <sighs> I love him so much.
2: <laughs> I know. He was great. These stories are really beautiful and inspiring, so how do we create more of this in the world? Well,
0: sometimes the healing that comes to us through personal relationships, where we finally feel seen and loved and accepted, we can seek that out in other ways. Therapy is one such place.
2: Right, and Jamie Moran does a lot of that work with gay men in his therapy groups.
0: Yeah, and he mentioned three factors that come up in his groups that seem to foster this kind of healing and resilience.
3: One of the things group does, in therapy in general, is teaches about adult relationships or healthy relationships. This would be emphasized in group in three ways.
0: First, injury and repair.
3: very, pretty basic that gay men, in this example, and other minorities and women have been injured a lot, and then there may have been very little repair So one of the challenges with injury and repair is there's no way to avoid all injuries if you're going to be in relationships at work in families you're going to have injuries so one of the challenges in a case example i'll give which is fictitious sam a group member comes to group and says i'm really frustrated last week i didn't feel seen and I didn't get the response I wanted. I felt I've shared a very important story. So my response, if I speak up first, is Sam, I'm I'm really sorry. You, It feels like you didn't get what you need and I'm really interested in finding out if we could make a difference today. And it sounds like I may have fallen down on the job in seeing you the way that you wanted to be seen. What is not helpful is Jamie says, well, Well, Sam, I did the best I could. Sam, you've really got to speak up more. Um, And then I'm rolling my eyes. All of those are pretty untherapeutic, pretty obviously. But the reality is some of us are defensive. You'd have to ask my group members how defensive I am. But this is the role modeling. I'm really interested, and I really appreciate the fact that you said you were injured. Let's see if there's a repair.
2: The second factor in groups that can teach us about healthy relationships is empathic failure. And sounds just like it is that there's been a failure of empathy.
3: And in all relationships, this happens. So empathic failure, when it occurs, needs to be addressed. So if you're a perfect therapist, none of this happens. But I'm a very imperfect therapist. So I'm looking for empathic failure all of on the behalf of the client.
0: And last, but certainly not least.
3: We're often looking at safety and trust. Now most most people believe in groups and in relationships, a little bit like a plane that takes off. Safety and trust goes like this. It's an upward triangle, whatever that is. But the reality is safety and trust is more like the stock market. It goes up and down and is not predictable. But if you can talk about it, I feel safer today than last week. I feel more trusting of you, John, today than I did three weeks ago. So those are three factors that really promote some of the dynamics that are going to create vulnerability in the group and move issues forward.
2: Okay, to sum it all up, Jamie says that three factors foster resilience in his therapy groups. Taking the time to repair injuries, to acknowledge failures of empathy, and to build safety and trust with each other. These factors help people to take risks, to overcome challenges, and grow. When people are sharing vulnerable material in general, all eyes
3: are on that person, and there's a lot of potential for empathy. So I think group members walk away feeling touched, valued, heard, and I think a repair happens.
0: I also like how he really insists that we don't have to do these things perfectly. Jamie says it's inevitable that we're going to let each other down and that it's our willingness to acknowledge it compassionately that makes the difference.
3: A very talented group therapist trainer recently represented in a lecture the concept of safety-ish rather than sort of safety and trust is always here that we're going to have to look at safety and we're going to have to look at how it varies. And I will often ask people how trusting are you today in the group? How trusting are you of me? Um, And I might even say, what percentage of you trust me? Because a common response is, oh, I trust you. I feel safe with you. That's a little bit like, I like you. You're nice. I like you. It's not very helpful.
2: There are so many lessons here for all of us to learn and use in our personal lives. As a gay man myself, I've been thinking about some of the opportunities we have to do this with each other.
0: So this is probably a good time to talk about a specific issue that was in the news recently and sparked some controversy in LGBTQ communities.
4: The rainbow flag is the single most recognizable icon for the LGBTQ community.
5: LGBTQ Pride Month is underway in Philadelphia, and today there was a kickoff ceremony at City Hall. Today's celebration featured the unveiling. There's some of new,
1: a colors new colors on the pride flag. flag. What do we think pride
5: about?
3: It? Flag. This is talking about why do they have to make this a race issue? The original colors weren't representing blue people it or yellow. Includes people. the colors
5: brown and black. That move is aimed at fueling talk about diversity within the gay community. It
3: actually in an ironic sense revealed the very issue it was trying to
6: address. Too often people of color in the LGBTQ community have been marginalized, ignored, and even intentionally left out of the conversation.
0: This really highlighted how racial tensions and divides are so present within LGBTQ communities.
2: Yeah, we asked some of the guys at the bars about it and got varied reactions. And we're not going to spend our time on the debate itself.
0: Instead, we're going to focus on how some people experience this debate as an injury.
2: When you see other gay men pushing back on the adding of the black and brown stripes to the flag. I'm pushing back on that. What do you feel about that?
7: <laughs> it hurts. It hurts. And I try and block it out. And I. Sh- I don't want to even talk about it and I don't even want to think about it but at the end of the day there's people that are suffering and it takes everybody to come together and talk about it and and to fight for it but how much can you fight until you're tired until you're done until you're open it's like I I can only fight so much I haven't done my work I haven't but I see people who have fought, fought and dug in and like and nothing being
0: done. We spent quite a bit of time with two young gay black men who had grown up together on the other side of the country. Their love and support for each other was so clear. I love how excited they were to help each other tell their stories. No,
8: no, oh my God. Remember when you came out, when you came out to her,
7: because you were the first person that came out to
8: her. So I came out first. I'm like, Mom, like, I have a boyfriend. She's like, don't tell your sister. I'm like, she's gay as shit. Like, are you serious? She's gayer than me. (laughs) And my mom was like, let's go outside.
2: But as we talked about the flag the tone became more serious.
7: This is the first time I actually have been able to express thoughts and shit. You know, I'm trying to be a better person. And yes, I can't blame everybody for what's going on in this country, because we all have a part in it, so. And,
0: I, and all right, I'm not asking you to speak for all black gay men when I ask this, but for you as a black gay man, what is it from uh, white gay men that you find uh, supportive during this time? And what is not supportive? Uh,
7: not supportive is just the, the shut offness of. I can pull up my Facebook feed right now with people who are like literally way more informed than me, you know, way more informed than me. So it makes me happy to see that, you know what I mean? And it makes me want to be more active.
0: Because it's like, and so the conversation started you know, to turn to larger political issues. And as actually many of our conversation that night did. And I wondered, are we getting lost in the political weeds? Are we gonna miss an opportunity to connect with this guy in a more personal way? Then, this happened.
6: I don't have a
2: solution, and I feel a, a kind of a weakness even in saying it, but I just feel really uh, compelled to express like my solidarity and that I see what's happening and i'm here with you and i care and that i know that that's not enough but
7: i'm here and i'm trying i appreciate that i appreciate that so much because that's all a lot of us just want to hear at the end of the day is that you care like that anybody cares because sometimes we don't hear that enough that means a lot, what you just saying, You know? That means a lot. You know, like literally I can break down in tears right now because of what you just said.
2: And I I don't delude myself. I know that it's not enough now.
7: Don't cry. Like I don't know. No, I'm not crying. I just wish that it was more of a collective thought. Everyone, you know. But this has been a great conversation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, um, uh, this is getting
7: a
8: little too... I stay woke.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, it's not enough. But listening to other people's pain and standing with them in solidarity is a place to start.
0: That moment of personal connection can be so healing. It doesn't solve everything, but little moments like that are part of the process of repair and of building trust.
2: You know, there's something that kept coming up in our interviews, and that's the theme of love, romantic love, friend love, familial love, community love. It might seem pat, but love and with that belonging are so powerful.
0: Absolutely. And our hurt and our fear get in the way a lot we need to address that and keep addressing it in ourselves and in our communities.
2: Right. Love isn't all we need, but so many of us spend our lives aching for it. So my hope for gay men and for LGBTQ folk everywhere is that we can continue to grow our love for ourselves
0: and for each other. And in a lot of ways, this love is already there. So you have
4: more community now? Oh, wow, yeah. Well, that's what love does. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that that's definitely the biggest adverse situation I faced in my life. right?
5: came
4: with love. Yeah, people will notice if you're faltering.
7: You know, for so what she said was, I love you no matter what, you know, gay or straight. You're still gonna be my son today and tomorrow. You know, it was, it was pretty simple.
5: You want love? Yeah,
7: we all do, don't we? I grew up on this whole club. Everybody wants that love. We all want to fall in love. We all want to have love. We all want to embody that.
0: This episode was produced by me, Lily Sloan. And me, Kip Williams. You can learn more about Kip by visiting kipwilliamspsychotherapy.com.
2: Thank you to our colleague, Jamie Moran, for sharing your expertise.
0: And to the strangers at the bars who opened up to us.
2: The theme song is by Topher M. Lewis, and the rest of the music and sound design is by Lily.
0: Visit atherapistwalksintoabar.com to find links to information that we shared in this episode, and learn more about the people in it.
2: And sign up for the newsletter while you're there.
0: All right, serious talk. I'm raising money for this show because I want to continue to make this thing rock your socks off. So I'm purchasing a new microphone better suited to bar interviews, and I'll be attending a couple radio conferences this year where I'll learn all about honing the craft. For now, my goal is to raise $2,000 by September, and you can help me do that by going to atherapistwalksintoabar.com slash donate and by sharing the show with everyone you know. If you contribute, you'll get access to a limited edition, original Lily song. That's right, I'm going to sing to you. Oh, I want that. Oh, Kip, I'll sing to you anytime.
2: Aw, lucky me. I think we should also remind them about your other show, Lily, because I got to say, being a guest with you was so much fun.
0: Oh, right. If you want more of this therapy and growth stuff with humor and great music in a conversational format, tune in to BFF.FM on Tuesdays from 10 a.m. to noon to hear special guests and I answer listener questions and discuss the intersection of therapy and activism. You can find past episodes, including the one featuring Kip, in the archive at BFF.FM slash shows slash radical dash advice or subscribe in Apple Podcasts. Woo, we did it. Yes, we did. Thanks Thanks for for listening. And now my 89-year-old grandmother explains how she feels about you not leaving a review in
5: iTunes. Well, I don't think it's a very fair thing. She is so perfect that she should be reviewed constantly in a very appropriate way. she has worked very hard to be as far as she's gotten and I really really think that it's disappointing that you people out there you can make comments on everything else how about some really nice reviews I assure you she deserves it (laughs) and this is very (laughs) exciting for me because I've always wanted to go on the radio ever since I was a little girl which is a long time ago we used to go to the radio shows because uh, that's the only time you could see who was talking to you on, tel- on uh, the radio. We had no television. So we would pretend uh, at home that we were having radio shows. We went down to see them and you would watch a favorite mystery like I Love a Mystery and you would go to see people standing on a microphone reading from a script and throwing the script down as they finished it. It didn't take away from the program at all. It was every bit as exciting to see them just standing there reading the story as it was to be sitting at home and listening to them. It it didn't interfere with the uh, picture that you had in your mind. How
0: was it different for you when um, everything started to be on television
5: and be visual? It was incredible. (laughs) Unfortunately, we had such awful shows then. uh, You really don't know what we listened to late at night. It was horrifying. But when your baby was up screaming, you had to have, it was a nice thing to see something while you walk the carriage back and forth in the living room. Uh, it, you you don't understand. We watched almost anything that they put on, and most of it was awful. <laughs> there is nothing like live theater, sorry. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to disappoint you by doing radio instead. No, no, you're not disappointing me. I'm so glad one of my grandchildren is involved with making... Uh, Yeah, to to bring creativity for people to listen to. Uh, We had it when we were young. You you really really could go far away listening to the radio. And at least now there is somebody able to bring some of that back. So are you saying I'm your favorite grandchild? I would never say that in public (laughs) or anywhere else.
0: But I can
5: see it in your eyes. All of you are my favorites. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.